back to another episode of the Field Guide Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Nathan Druitz, local extension educator for Stearns, Benton, and Morrison Counties. And with me, as always, is Claire Lacan, uh, local educator for Rice and Steel Counties. How are you doing today, Claire? I'm doing well. How are you, Nathan? Not too bad. Uh, looking outside, things are looking all right. You know, for the most part, the rain is is working into the soil and so things look pretty good on that front and i think and we're actually out of all drought issues we had some to start the season here uh, or this start the winter we were thinking we were going to have some drought issues and it seems like for the most part we're no longer in that in that area so we're we're in pretty good shape yes hoping we stay along that same trajectory well and and that's good to hear claire on in terms of you know your area that seems like things are going in the right direction here as well. So uh, with us today, uh, Claire, we have a new host. We're going to be introducing a new host today. And, and Claire, do you want to go ahead and introduce him? Yes, it's my pleasure to introduce Adam Osting to our podcast team here. He is a local extension educator serving Wright, McLeod, and Meeker counties, focusing on crops up in that area. So Adam, thanks for joining us. And Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So hi, Nathan. Hi, Claire. Thanks for having me on the podcast here. Um, So as Claire said, I am Adam Austin. I am a local educator in McLeod, right in Meeker counties, Uh, kind of a new uh, system we have going on in there in those counties. So it'll be good to see how that kind of what kind of shape that this new role takes as we move forward. But uh, nice to join you here on this podcast. Thanks, Adam. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about your history, where you went to school, and anything else you really want our listeners to know about yourself? Yeah, definitely. So I'll just ramble on here, but feel free to jump in if you have questions about, about my past or whatever. So I guess best place to start is the beginning, right? So I grew up on a dairy farm on the very northern edge of Stearns County. Actually, the road that we grew up on was the county line. Uh, so some of our farmland spilled over into Todd County as well. But I lived on a, a hundred cow dairy farm. We milked about a hundred cows in a double eight parlor. Uh, we had about 110, 120 tillable acres on our land, uh, rented an additional 40 or so, and then threw in about 20 acres of pasture and 40 acres of meadow, kind of a lot of lowland, really heavy soil like where I grew up. So that's what I grew up thinking farming was, not even realizing there's a whole wide world of you know large, large scale pro- crop production and things like that. Uh, so it's been kind of a learning experience as I get out of my little Stearns County bubble there. But yeah, so as I said, we had about 100 cows. We actually sold the cows in the fall of 2018, our family did, uh, and moved off the farm the following summer. Uh, you know, with that amount of tillable acres, it really just, it wasn't a good business plan to have 100 cows trying to be fed off 110 acres is what it came down to a lot of years with land not being very available around us either. My dad was probably kind of, you know, ahead of ahead of the curve and deciding that the way the industry was looking uh, might be a good time to exit. So no longer living on the farm, uh, but living nearby. And what we grew growing up uh, is mostly corn for corn silage. On a good year, if we got lucky, we'd have 20 or 40 acres that we could actually combine and, and fill up the grain bin a little bit. Um, but from there is corn for silage, like I said, and alfalfa basically rotated between those two crops. I do remember, oh, I must have been only about 10 or 12 years old. All of a sudden, this weird crop started popping out of a couple of our fields, and it turned into soybeans. I'm like, what the heck is this, Dad? Um, but that was only a year or two that he played around with soybeans a little bit back when, <laughs> when those prices first really spiked. 
but yeah, that's kind of what I'm used to, what my farming background was. Uh, so not what everybody gets to experience growing up, but definitely not an uncommon farming situation for my area either. As a guy who appreciates corn and alfalfa now, I'd agree with you. There's too much of that one weird crop. And I think you called it a soybean. Not sure if that's what it's actually called or not, but it's just it's just all over the place. I don't, I don't know. I think we should just get a corner alfalfa. That, that seems like a better rotation. I'm completely on board with that. Alfalfa is a really fun crop to work with. And, and uh, other than having to get out in the field four times a year and pull bales off or whatever, even that wasn't that bad. That's better field work than dragging a plow through the dirt or something like that, too. I feel like I have to defend soybeans a little bit and just say that it is the crop that has a really great beneficial insect system going on and uh, some natural, you know, bio control. So as a bug person, you know, I have to take soybean side. Well, I guess we, we shouldn't just be bashing soybeans too much either. We're just, we're, we're on the <laughs> side of alfalfa is yeah <laughs> i don't know you know i the corn you know i dealt with corn there's there's a reason why they call it children of the corn there's no children of the soybeans right it's always children of the corn so clearly you know the the top what five or six crops are all corn related and on my list anyways and that's the only list that actually matters right that's that's the list that matters so i guess so Adam, you're going to get used to having to just ignore Nathan's sci-fi references. Uh, Star Wars has made a feature before. Now, Children of the Corn. Yeah, let's <laughs> just move past that. Um, well, you, they couldn't do Children of the Soybeans because it's not tall enough. Is really what it came down to. So. Um, Adam, so thanks for sharing your background and your, your farming experience. Could you tell us a little bit about some of your prior jobs or maybe your path to extension? Yeah, so um, I guess I'll start with school. I, after graduating from Melrose High School, I went to North Dakota State University. I uh, got a bachelor's degree there in agricultural economics, and I had two minors, uh, one in crop and weed science or agronomy, basically, and the other one in horticulture. Uh, so kind of a weird, well-rounded education, not, not willing to get too into the weeds on anything, I guess. But during that time, uh, I did have a couple internships as well uh, throughout my college years. The first one was uh, at Central Soda Cooperative in kind of central Minnesota is where their territory is. Uh, pretty much as a crop scout, uh, some operations, you know, seed deliveries, whatever an intern, you know, does is what I did there. Uh, and then my second uh, internship was with Monsanto, actually. I worked with them right up until I think it was three days before they officially became Bayer. So I never got to be a Bayer employee, but I did. Uh, so one summer as a field research intern with Monsanto, uh, that was basically along the Red River Valley area, doing a whole bunch of research projects and tending to their research plots and stuff like that. So that's kind of my experience there. And then after I graduated college, I spent a few months uh, with U of M Extension up in Norman County, Minnesota, just north of the Fargo-Moorhead area a little bit. And then uh, a few months after that, I got this job down in Wright County. So since then, I've been down uh, just kind of west of the whole Twin Cities areas where I've been working for the past few years now. I, I do enjoy that you said you don't want to get into the weeds, but I figured I thought it was just law that if you came out of North Dakota State that you had to get into the weeds because literally that's that's the home of, of some of these. I think it's, you know, there's so much weed science history there. I just kind of assumed that that was, that was just the classes that you took. Yeah, and you know you don't realize it at the time that there's so uh, such a big reputation for weed science in North Dakota State, and then you leave, and 
all your information is still coming from North Dakota State University a lot of times. So it's uh, it's kind of cool to see that I was I was at a school that actually was teaching me something useful. I was just impressed that you said you went to North Dakota State University and didn't say go bison. But <laughs> well, I figured this is a you know, like University of Minnesota extension podcast, so we'll keep too many of the bison references out of it. Yeah, I'm sure we got another championship coming up this fall, too, right? You know, the best part about this is it's the same thing for me with my alma mater down in Missouri as that, you know, my wife is a big University of Minnesota fan because she went to the Twin Cities. For me, we don't actually clash because my university's D2. And so with, you know, NDSU being D1 FCS, I think you're in pretty good shape there. You know, you would think that, but I'm pretty sure the Bison did beat the Gophers last time they played. But we should probably move on from this conversation before I say too much more bad stuff about the they're default uh, Gopher fan now. Yeah, I am still a Gopher <laughs> fan as well. I grew up as a Gopher fan. Um, just college kind of changed your perspective on some of that too. So that's fair. You know, it it is rather fun because up in my wall in my office, and I've said this before, there's this little plaque that has the the W in the the right. You know, the M is in the right formation. And I just can't believe that we haven't, you know, that particular space hasn't just caught fire being that we're in Minnesota yet. So I, I look forward to that day, you know, when, when that space just, you know, it finally just heats up so much. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. I'm sure it is. Yes. Uh, so Adam, we approached you about being a co-host on this podcast. And I guess I'm, I would ask that you share with our listeners what you're hoping to get out of this podcast and what you hope our listeners get out of this podcast. Yeah. So it's an exciting, you know, opportunity to be part of this podcast. Um, I've listened to a couple episodes that you've already done um, and some really cool stories that you've covered with farmers. And that's, that's pretty much what I'm excited to do myself is find some local producers that are doing some cool things in the field and um, see what I can learn from them, see what we can, see what we can pick their brains for and see what we can pass along to other farmers. Um, you know, sharing from farmer to farmer is often the most helpful thing that we can do uh, when it comes to proving our agronomics or just our farm management overall. So really highlighting those successes, those challenges that our local growers are seeing um, and pulling out those, those key things that, you know, we can really, um, we can really pass along to our, to our other local producers as well. Yeah, I think you touched on something that's really important to this podcast is highlighting challenges as well, or things that didn't always go according to plan, because that's really what we hope we can do is tell our listeners that uh, they're not alone in their struggles, right? And maybe uh, when we feature farmers that have gone through particular struggles, we save other people those same hard-learned lessons, or at least those exact hard learned lessons. Uh, will you tell our listeners a little bit about farming in Wright McLeod and Meeker counties? Just give us a little context about some of the things we might feature or things that are potentially unique about those counties in particular. Sure, sure. So I'll try to give an overview of all three counties basically. So if you start on the east side of my territory, the east side of Wright County, towns you got there are St. Michael, Delano, uh, Hanover, Rockford. To me, growing up where I did, they pretty much feel like suburbs of the Twin Cities. So there you have a lot more small farms, you get a lot more opportunities for, you know, local food, 
um, and, and those sort of things. So you see a lot more of that on kind of the east side of Wright County. And as you move across Wright County, it kind of starts to flatten out and you get into bigger egg situations with more corn and soybean rotations. Um, and then as we go even farther west into Meeker and McLeod counties, uh, you do get some dairy sprinkled in through the southern part of Wright County and in Meeker County. Um, but as you move south and west towards McLeod County, it really turns into you know your big square fields, flat, all tile drained for the most part, and just a lot of a lot of square corn and soybean fields basically is what it comes down to in that direction. Well, and I guess my question for you is: you talk a lot about what you've done, right? We've got covered quite a bit of your or what you have done specifically in in, in terms of you know your background and whatnot. Are there specific topic areas within agriculture in general that you're interested in what what is you know for for myself i love weed science that's what i you know that's where i really like to be at for claire she's a entomologist and so you know we have that that those connections what what is what is if, if you had to choose an emphasis in an area that you like what is that area uh so i i lean towards you know the agronomic side of things um that's kind of where my experience is but even more so i really like the you know, the new age, the high level technology, you know, the smart farming that we can do these days, you know, grid sampling or other sort of soil sampling, tissue sampling or or crops. Um, it's getting into the tractor and, you know, seeing if those yield monitors are working properly. What other kind of data can we all grab from from all the technology that we have and how can we apply that smartly to our operations as well? So that's really the where I uh, am most interested is finding those areas where we can try these new things that the that 21st century technology allows us to do and really start to build smart farms moving forward, uh, really down to the acre when it comes to fertility plans, weed management plans, how are we saving money where we can, not skimping where we need to put effort into and making sure we're covering all of our acres on, a, on an acre by acre basis, which is really way more possible because of that technology that we have available to us now. You, you made reference to a term here that uh, I think we understand this, but you said smart farming. What do you mean by smart farming? I mean, you mentioned precision ag and, and what does that entail specifically? What, what does that look like in terms of a system itself? To me, it's, it starts with, you know, observing and gathering data, figuring out where your farm is lacking, where it can improve. And then figuring out from that information what you need to do to improve moving forward. So I guess I wasn't there to say for sure what it was like, but 50 years ago, we didn't have the ability to, you know, get these soil samples and these tissue samples to gather this data, see what we're lacking, see where we're over applying fertilizer, and then make these decisions. So really it's critical thinking. It's talking with your crop consultant, agronomist, your whole farm team that we talk about to make economically sustainable decisions, first of all, and then how can we fit in, you know, the environmentally sustainable aspects? How can we uh, just improve uh, what we're doing on the positive side and really mitigate any negative effects we're having as well? Yeah, that's a really good answer, Adam. I like your approach to that. And I guess I think it kind of fits into how I think about integrated pest management too, is making those informed observation-based decisions. Right. So, and having that ability to gather that data is, is 
what really changed all that before this was an option. Mm -hmm. It was harder to make those decisions and think through the, the complete system of, of your farm. So, well, and I'm excited to have your particular brand of nerdiness on the team now because we've covered the other facets. So that is great. <laughs> so I'm glad think... to diversify our, our nerdiness. <laughs> so thank you for sharing with us kind of your maybe favorite aspect of agriculture. And I'm going to throw you a little curveball here. I was just recently asked this by one of my county commissioners. So I'm going to share this question with you is what is your favorite thing about working for extension and in your county role? I would say the learning. We had so many opportunities pretty much, pretty much every day is learning. You know, either you're getting a question where you need to brush up on some details of the certain issue to get, you know, a good solution to your grower that has this issue. Uh, we get to go to conferences and different events, get to go out and meet farmers and learn how they're doing things. It's just the constant, you know, what can I learn today to make me more aware of everything that's going on in agriculture, more, more able to find solutions to issues in agriculture, uh, just, just the general abundance of knowledge that I get to be around every day is really exciting. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. That was actually kind of part of my answer too, is that I love the teaching and as part of teaching, I do learn something new quite literally every day. And as well as being able to see light bulb moments in other people, I get to experience them myself. So agreed that teaching and learning are, are the best parts about our job. And then another part of this question asked by my county commissioner was, what's the funniest thing that has happened to you in your role? Oh, funniest thing. I think we all have these stories as extension educators. Once in a while, you get people coming into the office that just, they have bug issues or other sort of issues and looking for solutions that might be beyond your control. Um, so once in a while, it's a really delicate balance of helping this person as much as you can while steering them towards the correct resources. And, and sometimes that just gets to be quite the quite the uh, thing to work through. Um, yes, and I agree that as much as we would like to, we do not have the power to resurrect completely dead trees. So there are some scenarios that our research-based information just really can't help somebody find that solution. Yeah, and that actually... should be an easy conversation, right? When you just say, well, your tree is dead. I'm sorry, we're past the point of doing anything about it. But a lot of times those are the toughest ones because that's the hard answer for some people to accept for sure. Yes. And and here you just destroyed my entire faith in you guys. I thought this was the whole reason why I was friends, you know, with you two is that I thought you could resurrect dead trees. Disappointment. <laughs> well, you'll have to find new friends, Nathan. <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Adam. Thanks. Um, you know, I think, I think I like, I like, I would actually second that learning and abundance of knowledge, you know, that's something uh, Troy Salzer told me, uh, when I first started in this position was he goes, you know, he sees his job as one where we keep the grower on the road. Basically, if you could keep them out of the ditch then they can find their way typically. And so it, it's about keeping it in, you know, between there. And I think a lot of that job is learning from the growers themselves as to what they're doing and, and, and finding those practices that they're, that they're practicing 
and connecting them with those growers who have those questions and being able to provide kind of that, you know, fence on either side that allows them to, you know, or rumble strip, maybe if you want to equate it to that, where, you know, if they're hitting that rumble strip, they know, well, maybe I need to turn the other direction and get back on the road. And so I think, you know, that's probably one of my favorite parts about extension is just simply continuing that guidance and, and just, you know, watching as growers, you know, as, as they adopt different things and, and, where they're going. I think it's pretty exciting. And and you just, you always learn from that. I mean, I probably have learned more in this position than I've actually taught, which is, you know, uh, is, is a great, is a fantastic thing as someone who enjoys that process. Yeah. And I definitely agree with that whole road analogy. It, it is about keeping them on the road, but there's other ways to do that too, right? We can add lanes to the road, widen it out, make sure it's smoother. So it's about, you know, finding other options for the farmers to uh, different ways to think about things, different, different, uh, just different options. Like I said, different choices for them to make. Knowing that there's more than one way to do something correct is is good. Yeah. Well, and, and I like that too, because you know, and I think of an audience when I'm when I'm looking at different topics, I'm looking at different lanes. You know, right? You've got different lanes on the same road, and sometimes you know, if you're if you're on vacation and you're driving around the countryside, sometimes you want to be on the interstate, and sometimes you want to end up on that gravel road that winds up making you wonder if you're ever going to get, you know, back to a town at any point, or, you know, especially if you're about ready to run out of fuel, makes you a little nervous. Feels, feels like driving across North Dakota. Well, driving across North Dakota can be fun too. It can be, except when you're almost out of fuel and you don't realize that there are, are not gas stations at, you know, every fifth exit. That gets a little uh, nervous, nerve wracking. But that's a story for another time. Yeah, sounds like a personal story. <laughs> um, Adam, anything else that you want to add or want our listeners to know as we launch your journey as our new co-host? No, not really. This was a good conversation. I'm like I said, I'm happy to be a part of this effort to meet these farmers that are doing some cool things and learn from them. Uh, you know, I think that moving into this role with Bright McLeod and Meeker counties and getting to know our crop producers. This is kind of a perfect fit to uh, take along with this podcast effort as well. And we can kind of bridge that gap between uh, different farmers and different practices and figure out what works and what doesn't. Something that we didn't ask you about, because this is, you know, something that I think fits right alongside this is your programs and experience right now within as an extension educator looking specifically at those programs and you mentioned that you want to you know you're excited about joining this program as you move into your new role as a crops local crops educator uh what do you see you know what what are the programs that you're actually enjoying right now that you you know that you're pretty yeah that you're looking forward to as you as you approach this new role yeah so there's a few things that i'm coming up with as we kind of transition here and uh, one of those things is in Cloud County, I help out with a corn bridal plot that gives us some local information. And off of that same idea, that's one of my big efforts here this summer is to get, you know, cut worm traps out, rootworm traps out, you know, those sort of things to really gather local information about pest issues, uh, maybe collecting weed seed samples to look for resistance issues. Whatever we can do to get local information is kind of priority one. And then priority two really is, is sharing that information. So whether it's a podcast like this, hopping on the radio, Facebook stuff, uh, newsletters for our growers, anything that I can do to 
share that local information and keep them as updated as I can throughout the growing season is really my top goal here in this position. Thanks for sharing that, Adam. And I guess one thing we've left unsaid is why you are taking on this new position as co-host. And it's because we're actually saying goodbye to Nathan Druitz and you are replacing him as kind of my central Minnesota co-host. So Nathan, if you'd like to tell us a little bit about why we are saying goodbye to you, that would be great. Yeah. So uh, back here, back in about March, my wife took a different role down in the Southeast, continuing her work as a local extension educator, which of course means that I'm no longer going to be in central Minnesota in my current role. And at, you know, at this particular point in time. And so we knew it, you know, this is a podcast. uh, Mike Cruz and myself started, we had, we had got a few episodes in, of course, we introduced you, Claire, and, and now we're bringing in Adam to, to help sub in that role. So uh, you know, this is, this is something that I'm getting ready for a big move here. Great. Well, we're excited for your move and also excited that you are signing up to continue to uh, participate in the podcast as needed. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of the field guide podcast and be sure to tune in next time. And thanks for listening.